Welcome to the desert of the real. What is real? How do you define real? Do you believe in fate? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What are you trying to tell me? That I can dodge bullets? No. I'm trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. There is no spoon. Because you have been down there, Neil. You know that way. You know exactly where it is. You know what that means? It's Latin. It means no, I tell. As you adequately put, the problem is choice. Causality. Action. Reaction. Cause. Infant. Everything begins with choice. No. Wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those with them. This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. Hello, welcome to the Sci-Fi Rewind Podcast, a joint effort between the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV Podcast and the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And I am Kevin Batchelder. And we are so glad that you're joining us tonight because we have a very excellent show in store for you. We, in fact, this is a topic, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have been looking forward to this podcast for some time. This is near dear to your heart. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm very glad that we're doing the Matrix, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, when we threw down some emails after our completing our first TV episode one, and I knew we didn't have time for a full season of something, I'm like, oh, I know I love this, and I believe Scott does, so let's go down the Matrix trilogy rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, and it is a rabbit hole to be sure. You know what? I really um, – we and, and you know when we threw this out, there was a lot of listener response to this. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so people just came out of the woodwork saying, oh, I just watched this a little bit ago. I'm going to watch it again. Or, oh, I'm going to watch the first one, and I guess I'll sit through this number two and three with you. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, and I'm going to take exception with those folks, but those are for other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's for our, our next podcast and the one that follows after that. So, But we're tonight we're talking about The Matrix, the very first one, 1999, when the Wachowski brothers kind of broke onto the scene. They had one movie prior to that. It was a $10 million budgeted movie called Bound, which I've never seen. Have you seen Bound? No, I don't think so. No. So it was uh, the way I understand is that movie was done uh, to see that, to tell the um, production company or Warner Brothers, 
uh, to kind of tell them that these guys could actually direct. Oh. It was kind of that movie. It's kind of just wetting their feet. Before we give you a multi-million dollar movie, let's give you a $10 million one. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I'd actually read something, and again, I don't know how official it was, that uh, they had asked for like an $80 million budget for this one, and they gave them like 10 and and they basically spent all 10 on the first 10 minutes of the movie, but <laughs> the studio loved it so much they gave them the rest. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I didn't hear that story, but you might be you might be correct. I know that they got ten million dollars for the Bound movie, and then the the they were that impressed with it that they did give the uh, they did give it the the green light. But it was it was it was kind of a risk for them. The Matrix was a risk for it was I guess a risk for any uh, movie house back then. Oh yeah, especially when you've got directors who don't have a a background or experience in doing this kind of a visual. Uh, situation that's you know you're talking tens of millions of dollars here it's kind of hard to throw that around right right i know i don't have it in my back pocket that's for sure um well so let's i guess let's go around let's start by saying you know we we just got done in the past month rewatched the matrix what is your first impression and then i kind of want to break it apart by different aspects of the movie and and maybe talk about a little bit about how it's held up but let's um, just first impressions. What do you think rewatching the Matrix? Miles, we'll start with you. And what do you think about uh, the rewatch? Did you like it? How do how do you feel it's held up in the past? What I guess 13, 12 years now. Well, first, I think the Matrix will look on any TV pretty much. However, it looked really great on my new thirty-two uh, inch HD LCD uh, TV that I'll we just got recently. Did. So uh, I was very pleased with that. Um, as far as it holds up now, um, I think for the most part it does. And I think we, we talked off there very briefly about this. Hypothetically speaking, if they made if they didn't make the movie back in '98, but they made it now, um, they wouldn't have to change too much. It holds up so good. I mean, the special effects are a little better now, but the story is still solid, and even the special effects then are just still phenomenal. Um, they could they could they, they could make that movie now and it would still be a success. So you enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it immensely. Okay, very good. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, this is one of my all time faves, and and uh, it's funny when it first came out back in '99, and it literally has been 12 years almost to the day. I think it premiered in April back in '99. Um, I was traveling on some business. I was somewhere out in California, some training session or something, and I was really looking forward to seeing this movie. So the only theater I could find when I had some time to see it while I was on the road, had closed captioning, uh, subtitles, if you will. And I had never gone to a movie that way, but I wanted to see this thing so bad, I went and saw it that way, which was a different experience for me. So uh, I, I, I enjoy these concept-type movies, and really, back then, I can be... I, I still remember being blown away, and, and as we'll discuss, you know, I went way down the rabbit hole with a bunch of other stuff, so oh, yeah. loved it then <laughs> and, and still love it now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's my that's my thoughts. I watched it and you know, as I, I mentioned before, that this is one of my treadmill movies. This is a movie that the music is that engaging and the action that intense that it kind of pumps you up as you're as you're as you're running and walking. And and uh contrary to Kevin, what you thought I might be able to do, I did take notes while I was on the treadmill. <laughs> that's impressive <laughs> I uh, had it on my I had the matrix on my iPad my iPhone was sitting there with notes open and if something would come up that I really wanted to remember I just quick typed it in as I was walking on the treadmill and kept moving so so that was, that was my way of handling it but I, you know this is a movie this is probably I, I, I'm, I don't know if it's my number one favorite all time but it's pretty darn close it just it just really holds up well for me 
Um, and I think what makes this work, it's more than the action. It's, it's the underlying message about our society. Yeah, I think that's part of why I love going back to it, the whole idea of uh, fate versus free will and, and uh, you know, determining your own destiny and things like that. It's the philosophy and other cerebral-type uh, storylines make it easy to revisit it just a little differently each time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we evolve, as we evolve in our own journeys, you know, we kind of come back to it with a different perception and a different place in our lives. And it becomes either a little bit more relevant or maybe relevant in a different way because of it. Yeah. And just to dovetail a bit on what Miles said, uh, this time when I rewatched just a few days ago was the first time I'd watched it on the Blu-ray copies that I'd bought a few weeks ago. And Hmm. wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that needs to be yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm one of those crazy guys who back when it first came out, early 2000s on DVD, I bought the the Ultimate Collection that had like 11 DVDs in it at that time and with all the behind the scenes and other stuff. And I up then. So seeing it again on Blu-ray was just a real treat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought maybe what we'd do is maybe start by talking about maybe some of our favorite scenes in the movie, some of the things that stick stick out. And then I kind of want to move into talking about the tech, some of the technology behind it. Um, and, uh, and then, and then obviously we want to get into a little bit of the philosophy and, um, and from that, Oh, the music's also in there is one of the things I want to talk about as well. So am I missing anything or does that seem like a good, uh, roadmap for us tonight? It's a good roadmap. I think we'll wind off that road a little bit, but that's a good way to start. That's a great way to start. So why don't we go ahead and start with favorite scenes? And um, we can just uh, start and just kind of, you know, go uh, off of that. Kevin, why don't you go ahead and uh, start us off with a favorite scene of yours from this movie? Jeez, I got, it's two hours and ten minutes long. I ended up picking an hour and a half of it. I, <laughs> I, I oftentimes, when I do these rewatches with notes, I'll start putting in, like, favorite phrases or scenes but i ended up writing down way too much i mean i i I don't know i love each of them so differently uh obviously the entire scene when when morpheus is is getting neo to to take the pill right down to the whole pod part of it i mean that's just talk about eye-opening kind of stuff i mean there's wonderful wonderful action sequences later but to me they don't mean near as much as that first mind-opening or eye-opening experience of seeing that. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. 
Yeah. And, uh, and again, some, you mentioned phrases, you could probably copy down that entire speech, you know, and have it, and have it be some source. It's very significant. Absolutely. It make for a great monologue just in a, as if, if you're auditioning for a part or something like that, use that as a monologue. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of those scenes that I think sets the tone for the movie is ironically, or maybe not ironically, the very first scene. I mean, when you encounter, uh, Carrie Ann Moss sitting there in the room by herself and the policeman burst in. Um, first of all, you know that they're kind of tapped into something. So there's something mysterious going on that you aren't sure about. And then, uh, when, then when you, then when you see Carrie Ann Moss leap up and then, you know, and just kind of hold that pose and the camera swirls around her and she kicks a police guy. Absolutely amazing. Not to mention she's not hard in the eyes. That's, I mean, <laughs> yes, in those black leather outfits, they're definitely uh, eye-catching. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it is, and it's just, for me, it set the tone that, you know, you, you get the coloring, the green coloring that's kind of filtered through that scene, and the fact that there's there's this, she's kind of this rebel underground to these agents that are after her, and mm-hmm. you, you're kind of rooting for her from the, get, from the get-go, and I think it just kind of sets up the premise for the rest of the movie. For me, it did. Uh, and I found it amazing. I was going through, uh, Kevin, you said you went through a lot of the background footage. I went through and rewatched a lot of the, the background notes to it. And I didn't realize she did that scene with a twisted ankle. Yeah, that's one of the cool things in the behind the scenes stuff is how much she had to suck it up at a couple points after she'd hurt her ankle to literally land on it full weight and not make it look like she was cringing. So yeah. credit to her. Yeah, it was, definitely. I couldn't have done it. That's for sure. But that thing is one of my favorite scenes. At least one of the, it's it's one of the scenes that I really like. I, I have a hard time picking out. I mean, which one is a favorite scene? Um, one stands out towards the end is the whole where um, uh, Neo and Trinity go in to bust uh, uh, Morpheus out. And then, I mean, just just the whole shoot him up, blow him up. The lobby scene. The lobby scene. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that is just. I mean that that is just. Very intense. I mean, as, as far I mean, as far as eye candy goes. But uh, one scene I thought was interesting, more of just on a um, uh, just on a on a, on a on a visceral level, is just watching Neo's um, when they and and uh, Kevin, you know, touched on this when when they liberate him from the pod. But just sort of his, um, he almost has this little existential crisis in a sense. You know, he sees all these plugs in him and, you know, sees this kind of shabby looking ship he's in and just, um, he, he, you know, he doesn't go insane, but but just for a brief moment, he's just like, you know, what the hell did I just do? I, mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, can he, I can he, tell you that if I woke up tomorrow morning and there were plugs in my arm, I'd be saying the same damn thing. You know, uh, what, what, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know he, he, he almost sense, you know, I mean, Keanu Reeves gets a lot of, you know, hate for his, his his acting abilities maybe some of it's justifiably so but i, I thought he this movie he, he did pretty good at it. i thought he was like just for a second like put me back you know yeah, well this this role in my opinion was just made for keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. if you want to roll for him either that or the speed role other than that any other thing he's acting i guess bill and ted's well yeah <laughs> but you know uh but yeah i agree and you know that 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 whole self discovery revelation of what is real, and you know, his, you know, it's kind of that shock to his system. You know, right. He's he, he's been living in this dream world, and uh, all suddenly he wakes up, and it's not as pretty. Right. It, it's kind of ugly looking on on the, the real world. There's a, there's a real ugly side to it. What is real? How do you define real? 
If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. This is the world that you know. The world as it was at the end of the 20th century. It exists now only as part of a neural interactive simulation that we call the matrix. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. the lobby scene a little bit i don't know about kevin i don't know yeah i want your thoughts on this but for me one of the scenes that just works from an action standpoint and from a music standpoint and the way that it just engages you is that lobby scene oh heck yeah and, and <laughs> it's funny talking about that one uh again with the blu-ray set and i've got a very small nothing expensive uh surround sound system in my tv room there and on on the blu-ray as, as you know with all of the shells that are being expelled and hitting the ground that little tink sound that they're making and i'm hearing that coming from all the corners of the room <laughs> oh wow i mean that's like little hairs on the back of my neck i had to rewatch that scene because it was just <laughs> so cool even though i've seen it i don't know how many times <laughs> oh man <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just really something to to experience, as they say. Yeah, and I think that you know it's just one of the scenes that the the music and the action just works really well together. And you know Moby's song there—I don't even know the name of the song is—but it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of music. And then the action behind it, and then when it stops, you're kind of left gasping for breath, <laughs> you know, with the characters. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, watching this movie, if you if you're the type who can go all in, I mean you're you're gonna end up being tired after watching it just <laughs> yeah. for the roller coaster. You know, another one of my favorite scenes is is Neo in his office at, you know, Mega Cortex, mm -hmm. right? Where he was working. I think it, uh, either either it's Mega Cortex or that's a building across from where he works. But you know, the, I like the way they kind of set you up when you first encounter Neo after the club scene. He's at his job, he's been late, and he's there working and he's kind of trapped in this cubicle and it's, it's it really kind of you know represents the boxed in life the fact that there's not a lot of freedom there he doesn't seem to be very happy at his job anyways and and this idea of, the, of morpheus trying to bust him out of that is kind of i guess a subtle foreshadowing of what he does to the actual matrix and i gotta wonder for for you know for those of us watching the movie who may have a similar job like that if, if, if seeing something like that's kind of therapeutic, I mean, you know. <laughs> it, might, it might be <laughs> cathartic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's cathartic until you want to go out on the ledge. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's like, it's like, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid of heights. So that would be me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, and it's a, um, yeah, I guess it's true, except in today's economy, you may not be quite as quick to jump out on the ledge. If you have a job, yeah. you want to hang on to it. But. Right. It's boring. But. Yeah, that is quite quite a good example. But no, it's it's an excellent point, Miles, and and that's part of what uh, layers this movie is seeing those uh, 
scenes within a scene or the parallels both within the movie and also into real life, which obviously is what it's playing to because it's the whole concept of what's real. So, right. yeah, that's again, that's one of the things that aside from the cool shoot 'em up action that makes this such a joy to rewatch is is trying to catch some of those for the first time. Yeah. You know, another scene that really sticks out for me is a whole woman in the red dress scene mm. where they're walking on the street. And it's really not because the woman in the red dress, although she's quite attractive, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it's, it's, you know, you see, you know, Morpheus is kind of striding through this group of people and, you know, Neo's kind of, they're hitting everything and they're having, he has that, Another one of Morpheus's great dialogues are his great speeches about, you know, the Matrix is a system of control and these people are not ready to see, you know, have the wool pulled from their eyes, you know. That whole speech that he gives is absolutely incredible. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Are you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was... Yeah. To, to piggyback on that, I mean, at one point, Morpheus uh, apologizes to Neo. It's like, when a mind reaches a certain age, they feel... It's, we, we, they don't try to liberate somebody out of it. it so it, it's interesting that, you know, Neo has probably, at, you know, been at too long where he should have been you know, taken out of it. So Just left in the matrix. Huh? Yeah. So, so some people, you know, you ha- you have to leave them in. If they're too old, they can't, you know, deal with being taken out of it. Yeah. No, that's it's perfectly put. It's it's really what it comes down to is how open minded can you be? I mean, how much do you let your past uh, weigh you down when it comes to uh, your future and being able to have a fresh thought without already having preconceptions? Yeah, and I, I think that you know, the older you get, that's a bit more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's where it's an excellent analogy for that. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize this until I went back and rewatched it. Did you know there were tons of twins in that scene? No, I didn't. If you go back and rewatch a scene, you'll you'll notice that there's a bunch of doubles. Huh. And it plays that whole deja vu thing with the cat later on, the fact that there's a lot of doubles. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, see, that's that's a beautiful point, too, Scott, because that plays into a lot of the symbolism and and different things that are layered in this movie that, you know, you may or may not see uh, first or second or tenth time around. I mean, it, it's a lot of the fun, too, for me going back, you know, even the the naming of the characters. Oh, yeah. And the, the meaning, the names and the and the ship and everything else. This, this is what makes it so much fun, I think, for me when it comes to exploring, uh, whether it's the bonus features on the DVDs or Blu-rays or, or whether it's some of the books or, or other stuff that's just, you know, you can find it in everything that's in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, another classic scene that we really should mention is the, is the L fight scene or what's called the subway scene. Right. Um, wow. Talk about another one that kind of leaves you <laughs> gasping for breath at the end. That whole fight between Smith and uh, when you know that Neo encounters Smith and he stands and fights instead of running. Mm-hmm. 
an incredible yes. scene. Just incredible. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 point when they jump at each other with the guns and and the the amount of work that went into that, you know, the three sixty view and both of them being out of bullets again, it's just beautifully choreographed and set up. Yeah. And of course, my favorite part is when he's actually on the tracks and he pushes Smith up against the ceiling. My name is Neo. <laughs> <laughs> that defiance. Yep. I mean, it's all part of the becoming, you know, yeah. of actually taking, as uh, Morpheus is often talking to him about, the whole idea is don't think you are, know you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, uh, mm-hmm. if you go just rewind it back a little bit, when, when they're busting uh, Morpheus out of there, first time. Well, he doesn't realize he's doing it, but Trinity sees him dodging, you know, bullets from that one agent. I mean, he gets, you know, nicked a couple times, but you know, she's like, nobody's ever done that before. No, yeah. From an agent, you know, no, you know, nobody could beat the agents, and so right. he's he's the you know first one that's come close to it at that point in time. Do you, you guys care if I talk a little bit about the? We, we, you mentioned some of the names of some of the ships, and of course Thomas Anderson and significance of that. I just I just feel like maybe what one of the things we could talk about a little bit is is some of the symbolism as far as the spirituality that sometimes is attributed to this because sure. it piggybacks on his whole self discovery. Like he doesn't he doesn't believe he's the one right. when he first gets out. Mm-hmm. He's he, he he is the Thomas, the doubting Thomas, if you want to put the spiritual. Hmm. Uh, slander on it in a sense, sure. Uh, a slant on it, not slander on it. But. He's, a, he's a doubting Thomas in the sense that the world he lives in is not real. You think is that, is that what you're going? Yeah, when he doesn't believe that he's the one, he doubts it. Mm-hmm. The oracle tells him something and doesn't quite believe it. Right. Oh yeah, that's just. And then actually, I think this is what'll make for some more fun conversations once we get movies two and three. The the parallels to certain religions and philosophies and so forth is is really quite striking. Once you look a little closer at it but yeah i do want to touch on that a little bit later on so maybe we can uh move on the only other scene that i have here is that i mentioned is the one with hugo weaving in morpheus and um you know sitting or smith in morpheus sitting there in the office building when morpheus is being interrogated i'd like to share a revelation that i've had during my time here it came to me when I tried to classify your species, and I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. And that whole virus speech is one that I've used that speech in my classroom. Mm-hmm. To, I don't know what I was illustrating with the fact that we're consumers and we consume and we don't give back to the environment. There's a lot of truth in what he's saying, even though that Smith is so evil. Right. Well, it, it's interesting that the whole, you know, I mean, in one sense, this story has been told before. The machines rise up against the, the masters, the men. I mean, it kind of manifests in a different way. I mean, um, instead of killing all the humans, the machines use the humans as... Batter, you know, batteries, and as a power source, 
Um, but it just there, 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 there's a statement against how we as human beings, you know, if we if we do create AIs that are that you know you know advanced, how are we going to treat them? I mean, uh, are we going to we you know? Um, our, our, you know, it kind of addresses our own, our ethics, and morality. I mean, or, or you know, it challenges them. It's just like, you know, we we've brought this upon ourselves. I mean, oh yeah, and this is this has been revisited in you know other genre stories also. But um, but um, just questioning our, our questioning our moral superiority if if we if we if we are morally superior. No, I was going to say that's it is it's it's that fine line when when is too much. The mm-hmm. whole concept of using artificial intelligence and letting computers think. And when is that going to doom mankind? That has certainly been a very popular topic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or, 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 or the concept of enslavement. I mean, um, you know, do we enslave so, so that eventually the slaves will eventually rise up against their masters? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I, there's, a, there's a quote in the second movie that I can't wait to talk about either. It's when uh, they're down and there's a, the idea of, you know, machines serve us, but do we serve machines? Oh. And uh, so we'll talk about the next movie, but it, it plays into that whole idea <coughs> of our dependence on machines and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. But any other scenes or any other quotes that stand out? I imagine we'll get into some of that when we get into some of the religion and philosophy part of this. Something not really related to that, uh, but the fact that you saw—I mean, um, this movie was made in a post-9/11 world, and it just, anytime I see the World Trade Center, uh, the towers—it's I, I get a um, almost a pang in me because, well, I'm originally from New York City. Um, I, maybe some of us—you know—I'm sure listeners knew somebody that was there during 9/11. I mean, uh, I, I had. I had uh, I had a relative that was rescued from there, so it's to see them still up is just sort of. I don't know. There's just a, a feeling in my gut. Is that where it. it's supposed to be in New York? Well, you see that scene in New York. I don't know if it's supposed to take. Well, it looks like you see New York City, and then you see post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I don't know. Looking through some of the notes here, I, I, uh, as far as cities go, the only thing I see them referencing is that it's futuristic and. And they played a, a lot of homages to Chicago, which is where the Rachowski brothers are from. So I'm not sure if that's New York or not. I mean, I'm not saying it's not. I just yeah. don't see any references saying it is. I, I, it looked well. The one scene early on in the movie, and maybe I'll, you know, where Morpheus and is sort of t- is trained Neo. You know, they're, they're, they're looking outside. They see the city. It, it looked like New York City, and then because there's there's a water. You know, it's it's surrounded by water. And then, then he shows what it supposedly looks like in the future, and it's all you know, dark, and the buildings are all um, dilapidated almost. But I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. have to ch- I'll have to check it in. But I, I, it looked like New York City to me. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, they 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 probably had that in mind when they were doing some of their stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, to uh, you know, help increase the. Familiarity for a lot of people too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk? It sounds like we hashed a lot of our favorite scenes, and there are, you know, as far as that goes, I just want to say this: I think the movie holds together real well. I don't think there's any scene that I wouldn't want in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a it's a very crisp two hours and ten minutes. And I wonder if that's why we haven't gotten like a director's cut of the movie. 
Right. I mean, uh, well, I'll ask Kevin this. I mean, uh, in, in your in your deluxe edition, was there much in the way of deleted scenes from the, for the first movie? Oh, hell of a good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember if there even were, to be honest with you. I, I honestly can say I don't remember hmm. uh, seeing any. Uh, if they If they did... They obviously didn't make that much of an impression where I felt, oh, that should have been in there. So it's an excellent point, Miles. Right. Well, you know, I just know like Lord of the Rings, for example, is a four-hour movie with all the additional footage in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just I don't feel that this movie needs a whole lot more. No, for the story style and what they're doing, it, it's there pretty well. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the ship tech and um, – and some of the creatures are the uh, the robotic creatures that exist in the real world. So we're outside the Matrix now in in the desert of the real. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we'd start with the Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles, what, what, what do you think of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar as a ship? It's very cool. It, it, it's, it's a combination of new technology with old materials making, you know, making it work. I mean, it looks like they... They they scavenged junkyards to, and, and things for the interior of the ship. Yeah, and, they patched that sucker up to make it run. Right, and uh, but it's cool. It's it's cool. But um, you know, I I'm not. I you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not sure what the the name. I mean, the Nebuchadnezzar is a it, it's a, it's a character in history. It's a character in the Bible. Um, what's the significance of name of the name of the ship? Um, right. I I just post that. I pose that question. Oh, there you go, Kevin. Yeah. Well, the Nebuchadnezzar, as you said, is the name of a king mentioned in the Bible, and, and he is someone who is haunted by bad dreams. Yeah, okay. He's also a repentant king because he, he raises himself up as a god, mm-hmm. crashes down, is exiled, and then comes back. And maybe in a sense, you know, mankind has risen himself up as gods and has crashed down, and now they're rising from the ashes again. Maybe sort of a character who, you know, it's symbolic of... Redemption. I mean, a character. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. there's certainly that theme running through the movie at different times. Right. Uh, I, you know, I agree. I like the the patchwork quilt. Um, I like the. Um, did you guys know what the ecto chairs were actually made out of? I did not. Do no. you know Kevin? No. They're 1920s dentist chairs. That is pretty cool, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of cool. So I heard. I heard. I was watching the background information, which were you know the background clips, which gives you a lot of this information. But I, you know, I just I loved. I just loved the ship. The ship. The Nebuchadnezzar becomes an extension of maybe like another character in mm-hmm. a sense, especially when you get into some of the other movies. Uh, but even this movie, it's you know this is where they live. We really don't see Zion yet. Right. Where Zion's mentioned in passing, um, but we aren't there yet, and so all we ever see is this ship. They kind of live on and exist and other than that they're in the matrix mm-hmm. i tell you the only part that really bothers me though is when that drill comes out of their head that that's kind of creepy looking it is i can't imagine <laughs> having something that long stuck in my head miles yeah i mean in, in watching you know neo first experience that uh, yeah, you feel the pain <laughs> you feel the pain yeah <laughs> yes you do <laughs> oh man well you were mentioning the, the robots uh the sentinels yeah um very scary, very scary and ugly looking. Yeah. Um, very, you know, you know we'll, we'll see their abilities in, in, in the other movies, but it's just uh, um, very, very, very effective uh, um, uh, opponent to deal with. When, when they're tearing into the Nebuchadnezzar there at the end, 
holy crap. I'm like, these guys are unstoppable. Right. Yes. Yes. Definitely a very well set up, quote, uh, bad guy, so to speak. Yeah. Well, even the the implant they put in Neo early on kind of resembles that. Oh, yeah. That's another scene I don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that thing goes into a stomach. I'm like clutching my stomach every time they do that. I'm like, they're not getting that thing in me, <laughs> you know? Well, even that whole scene is just, you know, I mean, Neo's still operating under the, you know, he, that he's still in the real world. And he goes, you know, I want my phone call. And, and Agent Smith's like, what can you, you know, basically, you know, what use would you have for a phone if you don't have a voice? And then you see his mouth being digitally erased or whatever. And actually, uh, the, again, something in the back footage, the, he actually wore a prosthetic over his mouth. Okay. Like, uh, I, I know they digitally sealed it together, but they, he wore something over his mouth for like five or six hours. Oh my, five or six I hours? I couldn't imagine having something like that in my mouth for five or six hours. Uh, that scene wasn't even that long. I mean, no, it's not. But it must have no, been that's a, just yeah. Typical Hollywood goes to show you they had to shoot all day just to get that ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, if even, if even, you know, and that's one of that scene brings something else that plays into the rest of the movies. We get our first glimpse of what appears to be one of the architects' televisions in that right. scene. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yep. And we don't you don't realize it, of course, till you watch movie three and four, uh, three and four, two and three. I mean, <laughs> and <laughs> but. But that's like, you see a bank of televisions and you're like, oh, that's where that comes in at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Yep, that's some real foreshadowing type things there. Yeah. What about the music in this movie? Let's talk a little bit about the music and then we got to get into the religion and philosophy. And then we have some feedback as well. Um, any, uh, any piece of music, Kevin, that kind of sticks out to you? I don't think I have a, a particular favorite, but as you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation, it it just it is so much a part of the movie that it's just uh, uh, as you described it being a great one to watch on the treadmill while exercising. It it just keeps everything keeps the blood pumping. It, they do whether it's subtle stuff or whether it's the the pounding stuff of the action scenes. It's it's really quite something. I was just going through the there's like 45 minutes worth of music on on one of the blue on the Blu-ray disc too let you listen to the entire songs that are really only sampled in some cases for a few seconds in a scene. So right. it's, it's really something. Yeah. I know that one of the pieces I've come back to is, is whole Rob zombie thing um, in the club, the club scene is mm-hmm. I am. And then, and then the Moby, the lobby scene, that music just works. It's driving. And then Rob D who did the, the music, I think called club to death is the woman in the red dress scene when they're walking down there and that driving beat that you have as they walk along the street. Just some incredible music that mm-hmm. just kind of holds the Matrix, the movie The Matrix, together. Um, and I also liked when he stops the bullets there. We didn't even talk about that end scene, but when he stops those bullets for the first time, it is incredible. But one of the things that makes it incredible is they have this orchestral, ambient, new age music underneath, and then there's this choral, almost... Um, it's almost Duel of Fates style from um, The Phantom Menace. Now get up. Has that mm. feel? Yep. Any other thoughts on 
the music, the characters. We didn't even talk about characters, but what sort of any, any thoughts on the characters or quotes before we get into some of the philosophy? And no, I think uh, you know we'll have plenty of chance to be talking about those too in the follow-up oh, yeah. movies. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although it, we don't get some of them back, we don't get uh, Dozer's not back, and uh, no tank. And, and who tank? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, was it is Tank the older one or the younger one? I think Tank was the younger, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, man, he wasn't back because and because Dozer's killed. Yeah, but Tank's not. Tank's not. He's the one who he survived the. Uh, you know, he survived, shot. but died. He died later. Well, <laughs> we just, I guess no. I guess it's a deleted scene or something. Who knows? No, no. Actually, actually, I think uh, the the story that I heard, and I don't know if you heard the same one, Kevin, that. It was a contract thing. Like he thought he needed more money or something, and they booted him. Oh, oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. He was. I mean, he wasn't that important. So yeah, I don't yeah. think that's the type of job to hold up for more uh, money. I, for. You know what? I liked Link. I liked the guy they replaced him with. Yeah, he he was he he was so, good. I liked. Mm-hmm. Him. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the philosophy and maybe some of the religion. And I know Kevin, you are an expert at this, having every single book on this. <laughs> Let's not go too far, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. I'm slightly obsessed with it, at least. It's very informed. Uh, <laughs> very, opinion. very informed opinion here. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things I thought, um, especially in the scene where uh, you know Neo's sitting there and they're about to pull him out of the Matrix for the first time, he's looking in that glass and it's shattered and it becomes whole. Um, Maybe think of that whole phrase by uh, Paul. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, we see it through a glass dimly. Right. Um, and and th- that plays into, of course, Plato's allegory of the cave, which, are you familiar with that, Miles? I'm, I'm sorry. No. Uh, just to give a premise for some of our listeners that may not be familiar with that, uh, basically, this is by, um, this is basically a group of people, they're kind of chained to this wall in a cave all their lives, and they, they're facing a blank wall, and the people watch these shadows that are kind of projected on this wall. Uh, according to things passing in front of a fire that's behind them. And they begin to ascribe forms to these shadows. And uh, according to uh, Plato, I guess, the shadows are as close to as the prisoners get to viewing reality, and they're trapped in this cave. Um, and so there's kind of this whole Plato kind of uh, mentality behind the Matrix as a whole, viewed mm-hmm. as a whole, and I think is one of the inspirations of, at least in part, by it. And that's not really the religion. I guess it's more the philosophical uh, view of, view on that a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, Kevin. You want to comment on that at all? No, it's an excellent, uh, an excellent one to use. And as you said, it it really comes down. And I don't want folks thinking that uh, you know this is about religion. It's it's more philosophy uh, yes. type yes. stuff. So while there are some great parallels to different religions, you know, certain scenes that have you know discussions, as you mentioned, that are very. Um, Iconic in some of those areas. It's more about the philosophy side. I mean, that's that's where the, I think I have the the most fun going down the rabbit hole is is the whole self awareness and everything that goes along with it uh, kind of things. I mean, it's it's right from the get go too. I mean, a couple of real quick things just for folks if they want to go back to uh, near the very beginning of the film when the guy comes to see Neo to get the disc program. Um, Go back and listen to what that guy says. Listen to the phrases that he utters. Hallelujah. You're my savior, man. My own personal Jesus Christ. You get caught using that. Yeah, I know. This never happened. You don't exist. Right. Something wrong, man? You look a little whiter than usual. My computer, it... (laughs) You ever have that feeling... 
Were you not sure if you were awake or still dreaming? Mm, all the time. It's called mescaline. It's the only way to fly. Hey, look, it just sounds to me like, you know, you need to unplug, man. You know, get some more on R? Hey, what do you think, sure? Should we take him with us? Uh, oh, yeah. He talks about, you know, him being his own personal Jesus Christ and his savior and uh, what's real. and I mean, it really, to a certain degree, is a small microcosm of what the film is, just from oh, what yeah. that guy says. Uh, so that's the kind of interesting stuff. Even the book that Neo uses that's got the hollowed out spot to hold the discs, uh, that's a very well-known uh, text that deals with uh, images and uh, imitating originals and not repl- simulation versus reality. I mean, these things are just so great because they're so subtle and they're in there in almost every single scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's it, what makes a, for a lot of fun for me. Yeah. So, like, is this podcasting mic in front of me really real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not looking to go sit in a field with my legs crossed for five hours to determine these things. But you know, right, hey, right. You, you know, but to he, each his own. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I want to talk about. You know, there are there 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 are certainly religious overtones, but I think one of the things that kind of you know, got me uh, this time watching it. And also just, there's a there's a whole, if you want to really get into the philosophy and the religion of the Matrix, there's this whole segment called The Roots of the Matrix uh, that actually explores a lot of this through all three films, but especially focuses on the first film. And one of the things that stuck to me is that I've always said, well, there's certainly Christian icons. I mean, Neo rises from the dead, you know, rearrange letters in Neo's name, and it's one. And, you know, Anderson is a son of man is what that means. And so there's obviously a lot of hmm. reference to that. But but it's not traditional Christianity that no. they're kind of pointing at um, because they don't really address this whole sin and repentance. It's more what they call this Gnostic Christianity, which comes out of the first century um, AD. And it's not... Sin the problem is ignorance is the problem, mm-hmm. which is very close to also this whole Buddhist idea of uh, samsara, I guess it is. I might be saying that wrong, where ignorance is the real issue here. It's not sin. It's, it, you know, you gain truth through enlightenment mm-hmm. and through revelation. Mm-hmm. However, some of the characters, though, can be kind of uh, uh, allegorical types of some biblical, I mean, characters. I mean, Morpheus, to me, he's kind of like a John the Baptist, if you will. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, not only, I mean... Cypher being the Judas. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to take it that far. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I certain, certainly there are parallels, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying that as a whole, it doesn't fit real nicely if you're going to say this is a testament to Christianity or to Buddhism. It doesn't fit into one religion nicely. No, I would agree with you on that yeah. one, yeah. At all. <laughs> I do, you know, one of the things that I do do like is um, it's it really addresses this whole idea of us being part of a system of control. Mm-hmm. And I, Kevin, I don't know about you, and I watch this movie. It makes me think every time how much have I bought into our system. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing because that could be a two-hour discussion. Couldn't it can. It? Um, I have it here. It's like, do we buy into systems of control? And the answer, astoundingly, is yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is going to go back to the whole human being, um, you know, wanting to fit in, but wanting to feel that you're unique, but being afraid to do it so that therefore you are much more likely to systematize your life, <laughs> your habits, and the way you approach things. You know, uh, that, oh, goodness, yes. 
<laughs> so we, goodness, we, goodness. <laughs> well, we can talk about it a little bit. I'm not opposed to that necessarily <laughs> because it does. It is one of the main things, you know. Break. I mean, that whole again, the woman in the red dress speech. You know, the Morpheus is talking. You know, this is a system of control that people have bought into, mm-hmm. and we buy into it from advertising to, you know, for. From the advertising to the shows that we watch on television to the, the things that we wear, uh, down to the type of microphone sitting in front of me. You know, I got it because, you know, we buy into the system and we're not willing to necessarily, we're not willing or don't want to deal with the consequences of fighting the system. Right. I mean, because, uh, I mean, there is a, there, there is a, uh, a certain level we all have to conform to. I mean, to you know, function and and survive in the world that we are. So, but but like Kevin is, there is a, also there is this something in us that wants to rebel against that because we want to be unique and stand out and um, against the things we find uh, unpleasant about the system. Yeah. I know I think about this somewhat. Uh, I was having a conversation with my students a uh, month or two ago about we have this idea of we're secure, that I can put locks on my house, I can put an alarm system in, and somehow that protects me from the outside world. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that's just an illusion. If I really want to get into anyone's house, I'm not saying I'm going to do this, but if I really want to get into someone's house, I can do it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. You know? Give me a gun, a sledgehammer, and I'm in. Well, speaking about the, you know, using the house analogy and breaking in, it's it's very similar to the whole idea of driving on a two-lane highway. I mean, there's a yellow line down the middle, but what's to stop anyone from veering across it? It's it's a trust issue. Oh yeah, a belief in the a belief in the system that other people will have the same values that you do. I mean, that's core of what a lot of us deal with on a daily basis. Oh yeah, I wonder if a parallel could be. I mean, we, we've seen. You know, this country and the world go through an economic recession. I, I wonder if you talk about security. Just, I mean, you know, there are those of us who have worked the same job for 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 years and find ourselves getting downsized and laid off. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, the whole idea of security. I mean, not just protect your house being protected, but just that you can still have a means of of support and income. Um, I mean. That that's an illusion too. I mean, we, I, I think a lot of I mean, illusions have been kind of uh, shattered recently. Um, you know, we, we're we're so hungry in the society for safety mm-hmm. and protection that we give up a lot of these freedoms too in that name, right? Which is uh, that's probably another topic for another podcast. Mm-hmm. But, but it just made me made me think of that as you were talking there a little bit, Miles, about mm-hmm. that. I think the other thing that uh, made me this watching at this time really made me think is they they focus on the fact that the world that they're living in is not reality, and they use the, the term the desert of the real, right? Uh, Morpheus uses when they're when he first exposes Neo to the the real world as it actually exists, and it just made me think. You know, have we become disconnected from our reality? Um, and, you know, you know, I'm thinking especially of how fast our lives are and how technology has kind of infused our lives. And I absolutely love technology, don't get me wrong, but mm. has distracted us from the things that are more essential or right. more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely changed, quote, what is meaningful. I mean, before, the only way you could connect with someone was face-to-face. Um, you know, people, you spent hours together with people and, and you had to journey a great distance to do that and and 
as things have changed in our society, obviously, I mean, our podcast is a perfect example of it. We're in, you know, thousand miles apart or more, and it can be even further. And we can develop relationships to become friends with people we will never meet face to face. But that's because of technology. But it can be abused just like anything else. It can be used as an excuse not to get close to people. So, right. Always a double edged sword. It is. It is. Are we nothing but batteries feeding into the system? Well, <laughs> okay, now let's uh, move on. No, I'm yeah, I'm not touching that. <laughs> um, well, the concept of uh, fate and free will is explored. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's something that's, um, I mean, we think we're in control of our destinies, but you talk, we talk about the, our desire for safety and security. Um, are, are are we you know are are we too, are we truly free creatures i mean i mean because we because of our desire for safety and security we we do conform or um not just that but our, our outside influences in life um either through how we were raised uh, our education whatever those things play a part in what makes us us and um you know are you know how, you know what what it what is what is it to have really free will in that sense? I mean, if we're in a sense, you know, programmed and shaped through our experiences in life. Man, I can't wait to discuss the second movie, <laughs> the Merovingian. <laughs> oh man, tons of good stuff to say on this. <laughs> but, you know, this whole idea of free will and fate, and and then the oracle and understanding mm-hmm. why we make decisions. Oh, I can't wait to discuss it. I'd ask you to sit down. But you're not going to anyway. And don't worry about the vase. What vase? That vase. I'm sorry. I said don't worry about it. I'll get one of my kids to fix it. How did you know? Oh, what's really going to bake your noodle later on is, would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? What do you think? Do you think you are the one? Honestly, I don't know. You know what that means? It's Latin. Means know thyself. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love. You just know it through and through. Balls to bones. Well, uh, anything else we want to talk about <laughs> regarding the of this first mate that needs to be said about this first Matrix movie before we move into some listener comments? The only thing I'd mention is uh, in, in preparation for the other couple of movies, too, we'll... Uh, <laughs> We'll put a bunch of links in the show notes. Uh, i got to pass along to Scott for some good websites uh, that touch on some of this. If, if you do want to delve a little te- uh, deeper, there are there are a couple of books I would recommend. I'll give Scott the links if you want to go a little bit down the rabbit hole from a philosophy point of view. Um, the one I would highlight is probably the one entitled Like a Splinter in Your Mind. Hmm. Uh, this is very much uh, it's available as a print book and also Kindle for those who like to do things like that. But this one very much looks at uh, it. Basically, takes on on a chapter by chapter basis uh, uh, 
brings in a philosophical ideology, breaks it down a bit into individual scenes and ideas from the trilogy to illustrate them and often illuminate the the underlying parts of it. It's a very it's a very approachable book and it's it's really the kind of stuff that you read and you put down your head hurts a bit from expanding the mind a bit. So it's one I'd highly recommend. Yeah, there are a ton of books and and but uh, that like a splinter in your mind is the one I would recommend if folks want one very approachable book that'll I think expand some minds. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with our head hurting a little bit. No, it's okay to stretch it a little. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think well, the other thing that uh, we got a little bit of crap for uh, the last time was not saying the date when we're going to do the next movie or to have people to have their comments in by. And we did mention it, I know, on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. But um, we said about the middle of May. Does that still work for you, Kevin? Sure. Yep. So like, I think- I, I'm thinking like maybe May 17th. Somewhere in there, yeah. So, and I think, oh, didn't we talk about our goals to have Reloaded, Watched, and The Animatrix? Is that right? Uh, If you say so. (laughs) 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 Well. um, We're we're on top of this. (laughs) Yeah, no. It doesn't matter to me. If we want to take Reloaded by itself, we certainly can do that. And then we can do The Animatrix with the last one, too. That's fine. I'm up for either. All right. Well, I tell you what. Watch reloaded in the animatrix and if we don't get to the animatrix you'll have it watched so yes better to be prepared yes yeah so uh but may 17th is when we're going to try when we're going to try recording our next one so that's when you should have your comments in by and talking about comments let's go ahead and get into some feedback that uh people gave one comment that uh that dan from the midnight movie podcast said just listen to your Matrix Rewind, and I think you may have gotten mixed up with Dave Gray. Either that or we both refused to watch Matrix 3. <laughs> I demand a written apology delivered to me personally by a woman who used to play Maggie in Northern Exposure. Dan. <laughs> so he was, <laughs> he was joking. But I did get it mixed up. I, I think I said that Dave Gray refused to watch it or um, Dan refused to watch it. I forget which one actually said it. So mm-hmm. I apologize, and I will contact Maggie immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a news article in here that you sent me about the Matrix turning 12 today. And I think that was back in March, actually, 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We're, we're only a couple of weeks behind the, the 12 year anniversary of when it came out. Yeah. So I will embed that article. We won't talk about it, though. But yeah, it's got some of those neat little facts kind of things that folks like to know, like who else was offered parts in the movie but turned it down, that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is really cool. Well, um, we did get a comment in uh, from Colin. I think he later sent audio, or maybe, no, it was someone else that sent audio, right? I do, and Mike sent audio. But Colin from the UK wrote in about uh, the Matrix we rewatch, and uh, this is what he had to say. And then we can kind of comment on it here after I read this. Hello, one and all. Well, I heard you were you're redoing the Matrix. I thought. Uh, I guess I, you were rewatching The Matrix. I thought, great, I like these films. These films are groundbreaking at the time. They have stood up the test of time well and have almost a cult-like following. I like the to and fro that goes with Agent Smith, Neo, and Morpheus as a support act, excellently played by Lawrence Fishburne. The little religious nuances put a lot of people off, but I found these well-fitted into the story. Uh, we are, as they are all seeking a meaning uh, to our life. And to some, religion plays a big part of that. If you disagree, then may I suggest that you do take you do a take a listen to the Sci-Fi Christian podcast, as Scott and I do. They blend the two mediums effortless, effortlessly. Bullet time 
which we didn't even talk about, is now a well-copied medium. And how many films afterwards have also had the slew, the, the slow, the super slow fight scenes? It reminds me when Mad Max burst onto the scene when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. The amount of films that then ripped off that formula was astronomical. Let us also not forget that this was the film that raised Mr. Reeves' profile exponentially, whilst giving very, uh, every major city on the planet their own Neo walking around with his long black trench coat. There was also the rumor that the other actors were told not to play their full game, so Kiana did not look too bad. Not something I believe. The fight scenes in this film were also excellent. I particularly like the fact that the heroes got their butt kicked, they bled, Neo did not make them jump and some of the heroes died the departure from the norm was uh as a lot of the time the heroes never get hurt anyways i'm ahead of the curves i watched the matrix only last weekend and talk about deja vu um and then the last thing you asked for suggestions on the future rewinds may i suggest really scott's blade runner is a truly great film in my humble opinion here's to the next two films live long and podcast colin there's a ton in there. Uh, anyone want to comment or start commenting on Miles? Do you have anything that you want to comment yeah, on? I, I, Colin is right. I mean, uh, The Matrix was a, was a groundbreaker trendsetter, and as far as movie making goes, I mean, a lot of movies have since emulated a lot of the uh, you know special effects uh, and, and movie making that, that Matrix first did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't even talk. I mean, he mentions bullet time. We didn't even talk about, you know, the fact that the, the groundbreaking photography, them spinning around the person, and mm-hmm. then also bullet time, just incredible effects. Right. Yeah. We just assume it's the norm now, but you're right. This this was the one that set it up for the, everything to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I, I don't buy into that, that the other actors acted as subpar so that Keanu Reeves uh, rose up. You know, I think it, it feels like to me that they're putting their full effort behind it. Yeah, I don't, I don't you know, that's, let's face it, Keanu is a punching bag for a lot of folks. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and I think there are some movies that certainly uh, make, him, make him that, but I don't think The Matrix is one of them. No, no, no. I mean, the, the, one of the running jokes is that, that the films, I think it was Miles who said it earlier, like this one or uh, Speed, you know, he does best when he gets to play himself, basically. So it was a nice fit. Yeah, and I agree. I like the fact that heroes bleed in the Matrix. Yep, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very well. Again, I, I agree with most of what he said here. Um, there was a movie. What was the movie that Christian? One of Christian Bale's first movies that he did stuff that just emulated the Matrix to me. Oh, I can't. I know what the movie you're talking about. It's kind of a blue cover. It's, there's artwork they're hiding, and he's trying to reveal this artwork. I can't remember the name of it. Some listener will let me know what movie I'm talking about. It starts with an E, mm-hmm. but I can't remember it. Well, it's funny if you say that, though. What, another thing which we didn't touch on that some folks might have been itching to tell us is that um, there was a movie out just a year before this that was very, very similar in concept called Dark City. Okay. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, William Hurt, some, some big name actors in there. And it's got very Matrixy concepts, the whole idea of dream realities and things like that. I mean, it's, a, it's an enjoyable movie, uh, and it actually came out before The Matrix didn't get near the publicity or visibility, but certainly a sci-fi film some folks will want to check out if they haven't. So uh, I know there was some folks you know, talking early on, oh, this is a ripoff of Dark City. Well, I don't know if I'd say ripoff, but you certainly do have a lot in common. 
I'll have to go back and watch Dark City again. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. Yeah, I haven't seen it all, so... <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's our next rewatch. <laughs> now, um, the movie, the movie, by the way, with Christian Bale was Equilibrium. Ah. That's what oh, I think Oh, okay. That. Yeah, so that one has a very Matrix feel, and that came out after The Matrix. It's one of those that was inspired. By. Yeah. I'd, I'd also give a big thumbs up and agree with Colin that uh, uh, Blade Runner is, is certainly very high on my list of films, too. No, well, maybe we'll have to do a rewatch after we do The Matrix, so... Um, <clears throat> All right, and then uh, this next one is an audio, is some audio feedback that we got, and it's from uh, Mike, who wrote, Hi, Scott, Miles, and Kevin. I watched the last movie. I watched the movie last week. I enjoyed it, as always, and record a little audio for your show. Feel free to use it as you see fit. I watch Relo- I'll watch Reloaded, and yes, even Revolution, but they won't be as much fun. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> so this is Mike. I believe it's Mike Crate from the Gatecast, and let me go ahead and pull up that audio and just play it. Hi guys, Mike from the UK, aka Jarek from the Gatecast, with my Matrix thoughts. Well, I've decided to join the Sci-Fi Rewind Party. Couldn't commit to the full season of Charlie Jade, but the Matrix trilogy and the Animatrix are far more doable, mainly because I can't abandon the countless new shows or new episodes that already have my attention. There's so little time and so many shows. So, the Matrix trilogy. Not the best trilogy put to film, but certainly has one of the best sci-fi movies in cinema history amongst its lineup. And no surprise, it's the first movie where the Wachowskis lay out their version of what is a post-apocalyptic future. The casting is spot on. Keanu, not known for his emotive work, suits a lost hacker persona, while his limited range suits Neo when the truth is revealed. He is in a state of shock, terror and blind panic quite often, and then becomes resolute, another stance that doesn't require serious acting chops. Lawrence Fishbourne as Morpheus pretty much steals the movie. The guy has presence in spades, both from his physicality but also his voice and speech patterns are character uses. He is a devout prophet but with superb leadership skills and iron-hard faith. Trinity again is wonderfully cast. You wouldn't kick Carrie-Anne Moss out of your bed, but she isn't the cheesecake sci-fi bin that is cast so often. She provides a strength and intelligence that allows you to buy into the love story, and it doesn't hurt that the costume department did very good work. We can't leave the main character casting without serious props to Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith, The guy has a voice that defies description and a speech pattern which is so different for this unique type of role as a sentient AI interacting with both avatars and self-aware intelligences. The scenes with Morpheus and Smith and Neo and Smith are worth watching as standalones. The actors and characters really gel and again it's this cast that makes this movie work beyond the visuals which are still stunning. Let's talk about the visuals. At the time they were cutting edge and for the most part they still hold up very well but quite a few look very fake something which has been addressed in the latest generation of CGI high-budget movies. This didn't take anything away from my viewing of the movie, though, and I'll be honest, this is a film I can watch time and time again. So while visuals were its toy force, they are not the be-all or end-all. Surprisingly, it's a story and characters that make this movie worth re-watching. The movie has been released on various formats. I watched this on HD DVD, and contains huge amounts of extras, including a number of commentaries, which explore the various sociological aspects that are raised within the movie, dealing with the human condition. I can't say I've ever really delved that deep into the mythos of the trilogy. I'm not saying it's pretentious twaddle, but hey, it's only a movie. He says, having spent hours discussing the merits of the lives and deaths and decisions by the people of the Galactica and the Colonial Fleet. I tell you this, I've enjoyed every second of my rewatch of The Matrix. It's a fun action sci-fi movie with a good cast and some interesting characters, both main and support. And the depth is there if you want to explore it more fully. 
and I think it's that flexibility in the writing that allowed the movie to appeal to such a wide audience. It didn't hurt that Keanu was a bankable lead actor, and kudos to him for getting not only a nice paycheck, but also a cut of the box office. And with no contracted sequel, the deals he got for the two movies were even better. For him, at least. All in all, The Matrix is a good movie and good viewing experience. It holds up very well, something which is rare in movies, especially those that maximise CGI work. Roll on the next instalment. Well, you know what I mean. I know you're out there. I can feel you. I know that you're afraid. But we are going to watch Reloaded regardless. Take care. Yeah, yeah. Mike is, uh, is great with the feedback. He's one of those listeners we love because he always gives us his thoughts. But, well, I known Mike for many years and I have a great deal of respect for him I do have to take umbrage with his statement that it's only a movie Ooh. <laughs> 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 sorry I'm a little obsessive on this one Mike so yes I will uh, any more than Stargate is just a TV show or anything else I, I know where you're coming from though but right. uh, no some great feedback and we really appreciate that yeah well he, you know he says he says some good things he says you know we obviously we didn't even mention this, but one of the things I found interesting watching the the featurettes that when they wrote the Matrix, the Matrix was originally supposed to be a trilogy, the trilogy that we got, and so it's meant to stand as a whole movie. And yet, as he did, that it, arguably the Matrix is considered at, by itself to be the best of the three by a lot of people. Yes, um, and yet I think the ideas and the concepts when you take all three movies together, really work. Yeah, there's there's no doubting that the first one, you know, what I'm saying is that I would agree that I think the first movie is the best of the three, but I, I don't pan out to as much as a lot of other folks do. Yeah. Um, he also says that Morpheus steals the film. What do you think of that, Miles? Wow. Um, I don't know if he steals it, but I, I, the film would have definitely been poor if he wasn't in there. I mean, oh, man, it, you need him. And he was... Fishburne is the perfect, perfect wise sage. I mean, I agree with Mike uh, why he was so good. I mean, uh, his physical presence, the way he speaks, um, it just, um, you know, it, it, you know, it would have not, you know, been as good a film. I, I can't see anybody playing that role except Lawrence Fishburne. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that there was a note in one of the articles we'll link to about who else was offered that part but declined it because he said he couldn't really wrap his head around it. And that was Sean Connery. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just can't imagine Sean Connery being in that role. Yeah, see, isn't that one of those interesting film things, what it would, what it would have been like if it was him instead of Lawrence Fishburne? You know, and it really did, it really did, it, I don't think it's really pushed Kiana's career out, but Hugo Weaving's Man, that guy's been in tons of stuff. You know, central mm-hmm. character in Lord of the Rings, in V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Now he's, uh, what, is it Red Skull in the upcoming? Yeah, uh, uh, Captain America. Yeah, Captain America. And so, I mean, we see him in some really iconic roles that yeah, kind of bust out. The, the, yeah, you're right. This did, this did uh, you know, push his career a lot farther. Yeah. It didn't hurt that uh, The Matrix and Lord of the Rings were filmed, like, in Australia or in that area. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> But yeah, he comments that the cast was real good and that cast and the story is what made it. I think I probably agree that after this time, it's the relationship between the characters and the story that drives us. Mm-hmm. But anyways, Mike, thank you so much for sharing from, uh, and that's Mike at the Gatecast. If you get a chance, check out the Gatecast. It's certainly uh, worth checking out if you're a Stargate fan. 
All right, some other feedback. Skip wrote this, and Skip uh, is a listener of the Sci-Fi Christian, said, The Matrix has always been and will always be my favorite sci-fi movie of all time. It was a movie that drew my interest into the sci-fi genre. I just rewatched it after learning that you guys were rewatching too, and I'm still taken with the deep religious significance for me personally, even today. Keanu Reeves can't act out a paper bag, and that's why Neo was the perfect character for him to play. Welcome to the desert of the real. (laughs) Okay, uh, both Mike and him have kind of commented on Kiana's acting. Kevin, what are your thoughts about Kiana's acting jobs here in this movie? Well, again, I'm not an expert when it comes to seeing quality of actors, but as, as we said, I think he fits being himself here very well, or close to it. Mm. So I, I, I didn't think he in any way took anything away from the film. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think his acting, I mean, distracts from this movie. I, I mean, yeah, this... this this is a good role for him to play. Um, what helps is that he has other really good actors working with him in this movie. Again, it's a cast movie. It's a, it's an ensemble in a sense. Yeah. 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 Jason Jason Roy said his favorite quotes had to come from Agent Smith. There's nothing like a great villain, and he certainly does provide a good villain. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and our last piece of feedback, and this comes from Radu, and um, let me just play this audio clip real quickly here, and then we'll we'll have to wrap up the show. This is either going longer, we've had Skype problems and interruptions, and it seems longer. So let me go ahead and play this clip. This is from Radu, and he's commenting on The Matrix. Hi, guys. This is Radu from North Vancouver. I want to share some of my thoughts on the first Matrix movie. First, I thought I wouldn't be joining you guys for for this sci-fi and rewind, just because I've seen all three movies in the last two or three years or so. But uh, then I've changed my mind because I didn't want to be missing all the fun. So I watched the first movie and I was taking notes and now I had some time to think about it and uh, in no particular order. Here are some of the scenes and ideas that I really like about it. The idea of people using old-school analog phones for teleporting into the Matrix and being rescued the same way. The scene of a kid bending spoons followed by an oracle baking cookies. The idea of agents force morphing into people. The scene of Neo dodging high-velocity bullets. The scene of a helicopter crashing into a building. The scene where the sentinels use little radars to scan for sound and when they start lasering holes into the hull. The idea of a moment being frozen in time with the camera circling around the action. The scene where Neo is being disconnected from the feeding tubes and flushed down the pipes. The idea of people jacking into other people's brains with a gigantic data plug and loading them up with software updates. The idea of people being grown for energy, the scene with the old-fashioned kung fu fight, and all the sci-fi twists and turns there, the scene with a security guard checking Neo for weapons, and the bullet storm that followed, the scene with the slow-motion shot of a burning flame with a heavy metal door suspended in time, Morpheus's glasses, how great were they, and of course the final scene with Neo and his Superman flight. One thing I didn't catch the first three times I watched the movie was the the Neo's Matrix name was Thomas. So that was surprising to learn. As I was watching the movie, I was thinking, man, it's unbelievable how how great this movie is and how good-looking it is, even after 12 years. Every time I watch it, it just inches closer and closer to my all-time favorite sci-fi movie, which is the Star Wars original 
trilogy. And I guess in some aspects it even it's even better. I mean, it has everything that a sci-fi fan can hope and wish for. It has unbelievably complicated and awesome-looking action and fight scenes. Some fantastic and cool hard sci-fi elements that are so rare. It has uh, self-sacrificing heroes and brave sidekicks. It has uh, egocentric villains and selfish traitors has romance, bromance, and even a kiss of resurrection. I mean, uh, it's a revolutionary camera work. Has, uh, it's been unbelievable with the unforgettable. has uh, many great actors with great acting and one really, really bad one, which is also very memorable. Also a bit of humor. Too, but most importantly, a great, great and unique story. Yeah, two things kind of stuck out at me, and, and I appreciate the, very much the comments we're do. Uh, one was uh, sharing some of his favorite stuff. He sounded like us at the beginning. He was like he was going to reel out the whole movie for a while there. I know. <laughs> it is Which is every single scene, you know. <laughs> it is because it's it's so good that way. But the the thing that I really got a kick out of and appreciated was that uh, you know even though he'd recently watched it. Uh, you know, he didn't want to miss out on the fun by rewatching again while we were talking about it. I mean, that's that's what we fans love to do. Is uh, we might we may go off on our own viewing schedules, but when we find out a friend of ours is checking out something again, all of a sudden we're drawn back to do it at the same time too. Yeah, I'm surprised. He said this this movie is encroaching on his favorite movies of all time, Star Wars, maybe even surpassing it. Hmm. That's that's those are pretty big words. That's a huge place very, to go. Very high praise, yes. <laughs> it's very high praise. Probably won't be saying that about the sequels, but but it, but this movie, at least, standing by itself. He mentioned some of the scenes that we didn't really talk about, like the scene with the helicopter breaking the glass, uh, <laughs> Neo and the feeding tubes, which, by the way, is disgusting. <laughs> you know? Um, the spoon scene, there is no spoon. What a classic line. Right. Oh, yeah. That gets quoted. Ad nauseum, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's a part of our introduction. It's been a part of our introduction to the Sci-Fi Diner for a long time. Something else you brought out was, you know, the the, the well, obviously the mix of old technology and new technology. I mean, uh, just from an artistic sense, using old style rotary phones to uh, connect back to, uh, um, to 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 the ship and uh, way they communicate, you know, uh, with each other. You know, one of the things, if they were to do this today, that they would probably update is the computers themselves. Because the computers themselves, you know, date themselves pretty fast. Yeah, and they, they're using, um, when they're using software to, for training purposes, they're, they're, they look like, I mean, they're not the same, but they look like the 3.5 floppy disks. Oh, yeah. Um, in there. So that, that, that would change. It would probably use something else. Yeah, well, they, they would still be PCs because PCs get viruses. But I'm just sorry, I had to say that it wouldn't be Macs. But. Yeah, but you got you got to give them credit too because when when uh, they're doing all the uh, the loading and stuff, they're using you know a uh, an, an iPod or or iPhone iPad style you know touch screen. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't have uh, – thank you again, uh, Radu, for sending in that voicemail and for sharing that. And 
would encourage anyone out there, if you are watching The Matrix with us and you are watching Reloaded and The Animatrix this next time and want to call in and leave a comment, you can do so at 1-888-508-4343. You can send in the audio file as well. And I know that you can go to Tuning Into Sci-Fi and get a phone number from their site to call in there as well, and that would be fine. Um, anything else you want to say about The Matrix before we uh, kind of lay this puppy to rest? It was fun. Yeah. Good, good watch. Kevin? Yeah, same thing. It's just, it, it was a lot of fun revisiting it and, and talking about it with you guys and, and Mike and Radu and some other folks who dropped us emails and such. That's, that's what makes these things so much richer is when we got other folks doing it with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, thanks, guys, for joining us tonight. And, um, and uh, Kevin, uh, where can they find you? Uh, our podcast in, is at Tuning Into Sci Fi TV. Dot com. Yeah, and you can find us at the sci-fi diner podcast.com and all the contact information will be there as well. And you can send email to people have been sending email to both of us, which is great because it keeps us in the loop. But we try to fill each fill in each other as well as far as uh, keeping people in the loop for that. Again, May 17th, I believe, is the date that we said that you want to get your you want to get your feedback in if you want to comment on your thoughts about the matrix reloaded. And the Animatrix, and that's when we plan on recording the next show. So uh, <clears throat> make sure you uh, watch Reloaded with us. Uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, we appreciate everybody tuning in and staying along with us. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. We'll see you later. Until next time, good night and good luck. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Keep it
Sci-Fi Rewind is a collaborative effort between the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast and the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you would like more excellent sci-fi content, please check out one of these shows. Please email us at sci-fi rewind at gmail.com.